you have probably hit mode share bingo <laughs> as far as like <laughs> different ways to get from point A to point B in a yeah. backpacking sense or in a travel sense. Sure, yeah. Hitchhiking with a skateboard boat trailer is a bit unique. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks. And today, all the modes of transportation true multimodal <laughs> that's right uh we've got ryan hashigan in the show or in this st- in the virtual studio <laughs> this <laughs> afternoon ryan thank you so much for coming on tonight yeah thanks for having me absolutely and just before i uh have a chance to s- cement it incorrectly how how does one pronounce your last name for, for the record. Uh, Hashigan is just fine. Hashigan, okay. Sweet. Yep. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, so Ryan has traveled near and far using a variety of different transportation methods. Um, so we thought it would be fun to have him here on the show and to talk about some of those adventures. Um, yeah, starting out, what what kind of stuff have you been up to locally or, or more recently? And then we'll, we'll kind of dive in from there. Yeah, just uh, recently been on a bit of a mission to uh, paddle every flatwater river I can in Oregon and, and southwest Washington. So uh, I've been hitting up the Klatskanai and the Kalama and the um, Kalapuya and Sandy and, and Malala and um, just, yeah, trying to the Palix and Willamette Bay and uh, uh, Willapa Bay and Long Island and just really trying to explore as much of the Northwest by, by paddle as possible. So, um, yeah. What sort of got you started on that? Uh, I lived on a boat in high school. I got a boat for 200 bucks when I was a pedicab driver, uh, my senior year of high school and, uh, lived on a boat for eight years after that and have always, uh, that $200 boat was great, but it wasn't the greatest expeditionary craft. Uh, but I lived on on anchor and would need to get a rowboat, uh, would, would have to rowboat to and from shore every day to go to school, to work, whatever. And, uh, that rowboat was always my most reliable paddle craft. And so, uh, I've realized that the rowboat was, and, and paddle crafts are the best way for me to get around the water with my, uh, what I've got. And so, um, yeah, last summer, um, a friend and I paddled from Anacortes in Washington State all the way to Vancouver Island. Um, nice. And then circumnavigated Salt Spring and Thetis Island, saw orcas and seals and had a great time navigating kelp forests and staying on little campsites and little uninhabited islands on the BC Marine Trail. And uh, then on the way back, we uh, paddled right up to the Sydney, BC, Washington State Ferry tossed the rowboat on a on a skateboard and drug it through u.s customs onto the ferry boat <laughs> nice did the did they give you one of those looks of, of like hmm or was it just more like we have seen we have seen otter things continue with your day yeah no it was definitely they definitely gave us quite a look as did everyone else in the line the usual tourists just coming back from you know a, a weekend trip to victoria and uh yeah, so did all the attendants, and by the time we got to the front of the line, we were at the talk of the talk of the dock. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Was the was the skateboard part of the? I'm guessing it's part of the multi modality. Um, did it just sort of end up that way, or have you used this technique to get the boat other places as well? Yeah, um, I guess uh, hitchhiking with a skateboard has always been a favored device. Um, when I was younger, when I was 18, I hitchhiked up to Northern BC with a bike, hitch biking. And, uh, you know, honestly, it was kind of a pain in the butt. It was great to have a bike. So I didn't have to 
walk from one side of Prince George to another, you know, a sprawling industrial northern D.C. truck town. Um, but having a bicycle really hindered who I could get rides with. So I started using a skateboard. Ah. And um, uh, a skateboard gives me that mobility to be able to get from one side of town to the other. I, I one time hitchhiked from Bellingham all the way to New York City and Halifax and back with a skateboard. And it was great to have that. Um, and in the last few years, I've started combining it with boat trips, especially as I've done the rivers. Uh, living here in Oregon, you don't have the same inland sea as in Puget Sound and the Salish Sea. Uh, but we have these wonderful rivers and some of them do multi-day trips. Uh, last year, some friends and I went from the Hawthorne Bridge to Astoria over two and a half days. And um, the first time I paddled to Astoria, I got a $100 Craigslist boat and took off the next day to Astoria, made it there two and a half days later, didn't have a ride figured out for the way back. So uh, ended up just dragging the boat on the skateboard and put my thumb out on the side of the road. And I got a ride within about six minutes from a guy that had <laughs> sponsored in Astoria and threw my boat on the top of his van van and drove me all the way back to Portland. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I imagine having a boat on the side of the road probably uh, helped in that situation. Yeah, I think I've actually been able to hitchhike with a boat easier than I have without sometimes. <laughs> in the Halem River last year uh, from uh, Vernonia uh, to Big Eddy County Park uh, and had a fellow pick me up on the way back. I was on the side of the road for probably about 20 seconds before he pulled over and threw the boat in the back of his truck and drove me back to Vernonia and had a, had a great time. It was really, really appreciative. So what, um, what do you sort of consider when you're getting ready to go out on these? I'd imagine it's relatively easy enough to carry what you need given, given the size of the boat. Um, uh, but I'd imagine there's probably some other considerations. Was there anything that you, you kind of prep with or know about going on these now that, you learned the hard way along the way, I guess I would say. Hmm, hmm. Uh, good questions. I'm trying to think of what are some of the favored elements on the boat. Um, uh, on the last trip, just learned doing better campfire cooking, just uh, discovered Jiffy Pop. I don't know if you guys have uh, ever played with the Jiffy Pop. The popcorn? Yeah, yeah. So that's a recent technology. Uh, one of my other favorite elements, like secret tips to bring on a boat trip is a kite. Uh, a little dollar store kite can be a lot of fun on the sandy islands of the Columbia oh, River. Yeah. Oh, nice. Once you get past uh, Longview, there's all these beautiful sandy uh, islands in the middle of the river from the dredging uh, of the ship channel. And then also from Mount St. Helens, after Longview and the cowlets, they turn very ashy. Um, oh. and it, the sand is just intense on these. So they're great spots to camp. There's driftwood. You can have a nice fire and, uh, you know, flying a kite in the evening is a fun, fun time too. There's usually pretty steady afternoon winds coming down the Columbia in the summertime from the north. Have you uh, experimented or toyed around with kite sailing before as a method of propulsion? Just a wee bit. Okay. Uh, we had a paddle palooza a few years ago uh, for it was part of pedal palooza where we all uh, brought our boats by bike uh, down to the steel bridge and then pedaled along Better NATO and and NATO Parkway uh, to go paddle our boats around Ross Island. And one of the attendees uh, taught me about kite flying with a canoe, and that was his his initial idea. I guess it was something that the voyageurs and the canoe folks of the Great Lakes uh, did as part of practice back in the day. Really? Uh, I, I don't, don't quote me on this history. <laughs> uh, hearsay from what I've heard, but it, it yeah. definitely got wheels turning and yeah. so, hmm, playing with a kite might be kind of fun. So uh, little dollar store kites are definitely essential equipment on a river trip, I feel. Nice. I, li I like that. That's a good tip. Yep. Yeah. Um, what, what's the, not, not that they're in any particular order. Uh, there's so many amazing rivers to spend time on in this state. Uh, is there any river that you're looking forward to next or that's this sort of the, the natural progression of the project so far? 
Well, you know, right now we're obviously living in weird times and uh, trying to figure out how to, um, you know, adventure responsibly and explore uh, while still kind of uh, keeping our community safe and not, you know, going out and about into areas. So, um, yeah, definitely. You know, this time of year, yeah, this time of year usually would be the Columbia River. Uh, you know, it's, we're in the sweet spot where the snow starts to melt and the Columbia starts rolling pretty strongly and uh, the wind is coming from the southeast only for the next month or two. It starts intermittently changing from the north. And so uh, this time of year would be a time that would be usually pretty excited in the next week or two of paddling from here to Astoria. Uh, if you get to Astoria before noon uh, on a Sunday, the Moose Lodge serves breakfast to civilians. And there's a the lady there that's the bartender and the cook <clears throat> make a wonderful meal if you get there before Sunday at noon. So it's always the race to <laughs> get around Tongue Point, get around the Coast Guard Station and paddle into Astoria right before noon to get a good breakfast. So Nice. That would be a usual trip. Other ones that have been kind of capturing my interest recently are the Cowie Man near Longview, um, the, Cow, uh, the Chehalis as well. Um, started doing the Chehalis in several different segments. I've got this, you know, book that I think some folks are familiar with. It's canoeing and kayaking Western Oregon and Southwest Washington and the Mountaineers book. Um, and I've done those segments from, from Grand Mound, Washington, near Olympia, all the way to Montesano. Uh, um, and recently learned you can do it from PL, which is a small town, um, uh, near Rainbow Falls State Park in Washington, uh, <laughs> all the way to, to to the ocean in Aberdeen, essentially. So uh, that's one that's on my radar. Um, I also want to do that trip because you can couple it with a bike trail. There's the Chehalis River or the Willapa Hills bike trail, I believe, and it's a yeah, Washington. Yeah, that's trail. a really good bike trail. Uh, that was like, been there. yeah, that was that was my first. Well, one, of, I guess, one of my first experiences with the. Uh, really nice nature of some of the Washington bike trails. Uh, it's yeah. a it's a pretty fantastic one. And were all the trestles intact when you did it? Um, I believe so. Unless I'm thinking of the wrong place, I didn't notice any trestles. I think I thought I had ridden that. Maybe I should double check. because uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that that springs a leak in my memory from doing my bike trip up to Seattle. Uh, you know eight years back at this it's point a long long trail so there's i know the state of washington is trying to improvement improve it in segments okay but as far as paddling goes i'm really excited to do the section from pl to centralia and then ride the bike trail back upstream to where we launch okay nice yeah that that can be that can be a fun river there I, i've been by the centralia river but not not in it <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so when I'm kind of planning these trips, I am looking for the logistics side of things. I'm trying not to plan too much. I don't want to overthink these, but I want to make sure that, you know, I'm going to be safe and that um, gonna be, that's going to work out. So there is some rivers where the highway doesn't go right alongside it and hitchhiking isn't going to be the most feasible. So a bike trail is going to be a better idea. Or there's other ones where um, it does make sense to hitchhike. Um, or I've even... As I mentioned, even recently been playing around with keeping a motor, dropping a motorbike at one end of the river and, and motorbiking back upstream ah. um, to get back to the truck. So, yeah, really just trying to figure out ways to get on the river. I've had times when I haven't been lucky to have a, a vehicle um, and have literally thrown a free canoe I got on Craigslist onto a, a, a bike trailer and walked it from Killingsworth down to the slough and launched at the slough and paddled all the way from, you know, MLK and the slough to, to out to Kelly Point Park and, and over to Washington to camp for a night. Wow. <laughs> Another fun trick that I've tried a few times is, uh, is using Craigslist as well, Craigslist Rideshare, and posting just kind of a wacky title like, Trying to get a canoe to Eugene to watch the you know, the eclipse on the Willamette River. Uh, that nice. one worked quite well. Nice. So that was going to be kind of my question: is what is what is something that you keep in mind when when hitchhiking? Because it it sounds to me that 
one, you're, you're very experienced at it. And, and, and two, um, you're very intentional about hitchhiking. You know, in my experience, the very few times I've actually done it, it was, it was out of necessity as opposed to like deciding, like, I'm going to travel essentially by hitchhiking. Yeah. Um, I really love hitchhiking and, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's put a little asterisk and a caveat there that, you know, I've got privilege inside, you know, a white fella that's, you know, uh, outgoing and I've got all sorts of privileges. Um, but hitchhiking is, uh, is one of my favorite, uh, favorite activities. I love just getting to meet other people and being a part of their world for a moment. Um, at times, it's almost like a little religious about it. It's just like putting yourself out there on the side of the world and just being like, Lord, who you got for me today? Like, who are you going to put in my world? And, uh, you know, some of the lessons that you learn, the people that pick you up, you know, I've had times where I spent eight hours on the side of the road in Hope, British Columbia, kicking rocks all upset. And then, you know, a guy picks me up and his whole thing is telling me, you are what you think about. Your thoughts compose who you are. And, uh, you know, I've remembered that for the rest of my life, you know, a little lesson at 17 and it, some enforced patience on the side of the road um, teaches you well. Uh, yeah, I really love hitchhiking as a way to um, allow myself just to, it's like a National Geographic, you know, article where you're just getting a, a local tour guide every step of the way. Um, and some of those lessons that I've learned hitchhiking have been the most helpful when doing activism, when doing business, when doing other, uh, I, I think it's probably the best education I've ever gotten. And I'm very blessed and lucky to be able to, to have that as a resource. One of the things, um, so just around where I grew up, at least hitchhiking was pretty common and accepted. Uh, usually as somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who was just trying to get from one place to the next. Um, and not a lot of people hitchhiking through necessarily, cause you kind of had to go there to get there. Um, but I think the, one of the most, the things that made me think most about, uh, just sort of like strategy was a fellow that we picked up closer to, uh, like warm springs in central Oregon. And he was, he had a, I, I wish I could remember it right now, but he had a really clever sign, like exceptionally clever. And he was saying, okay, yeah, okay. I, he's like, I've never failed to get a ride within, you know, half an hour as long as I have this yeah. sign. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's there's definitely different philosophies on flying a sign while hitchhiking. Yeah, uh, totally. I, uh, I've got a few. Uh, my house is actually decorated with some of the hitchhiking signs from back in the day. And uh, I think my best would be coming back from Christmas and Thanksgiving as a uh Coming back from Christmas and Thanksgiving, I would make a sign saying, have grandma's cookies, we'll share. And <laughs> draw a little. And people would always pick me up. You know, you get a good chuckle out of folks. They'd veer over. Rarely would they actually try one of grandma's cookies, which, I mean, more for me. But, uh, yeah, that was definitely a sign that got me rides pretty quickly. Uh, another one is mom's house. Um, I hitchhiked with a friend from Portland to Chile where we were going to their mom's house. And so we ah. could legitimately fly a sign saying, you know, going to mom's house for Christmas. But you need to be, you know, obviously honest with the signs you're flying. You can't just pull out that kind of, the hitchhiking gods will shine, will, will, will frown upon, uh, you know, using something like mom's house if you're not actually heading there. Right. Got to keep it good and honest. Tell us a little bit more about, uh, it sounds like you made it down to Chile. Yeah, yeah, a couple times, uh, but did one trip from Portland where I literally took public transit from here down the coast, um, hitchhiked through California, got to Mexico, and took public transit and buses all the way uh, to the Peruvian-Chilean border and then hitchhiked to the south of Chile from there. Um, so far south that it's the same climate as here, uh, that you'd be hanging out with locals and they'd be talking about Pino de Oregon, Oregon pine, that they would be growing down there for their forestry and just, uh. their forest <laughs> um, it was, and it was very similar to Washington. It felt as well, because you've got these giant snow capped volcanoes that are forested with evergreens. And then there's this inland sea of archipelago of islands, um, 
And so it felt very similar. I had a friend that moved to live on a boat in, in Washington that in his retirement moved to Chile. And so uh, went from Portland to there to visit and had a great time, but also along the way uh, managed to go to ev- all the Sunday parkways uh, that could find along the route. So that was in Mexico City and it'd be in small towns, uh, Puebla, and it would be in, in Guatemala City and, and Lima was having their first Sunday parkways. And each one of them had a different name for it. It was Foot, uh, Paso y Pedales in, in Lima or Via Recreativa in Medellin. Um, and everyone had their different style, but it was amazing to see like Guadalajara would set up skate parks for the kids. Um, you know, some of these ideas that, that uh, would be great to be incorporated into Sunday parkways here in Portland or elsewhere. Uh, I was really impressed with the innovation that was being done. Um, another one that really jumped out at me was Mexico city in DFA. They do on their main parade Avenue, Avenida Reforma. And, uh, they were teaming up with the blind school where they were getting tandem bikes and having volunteers pedal the blind school students on the back of the tandem through the Sunday parkways, narrating to them the experience of, you know, oh, here you're going past the Zocalo and oh, here's someone that's selling, you know, popcorn or whatever it might have been. Um, just pretty cool to see those different, uh, you know, elements that were incorporated. In Lima, they had the Peruvian Automobile Association was the one that was sponsoring it, which seemed a little huh. ironic. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah, it's uh, funny, around here, those those two would be at odds with each other. Yeah, well, then, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I've seen AAA at Sunday Parkways handing out bandanas and, and water bottles. So That's I think right. I need to... That's right. right? Yeah, so maybe I need to watch my, my watch my word. <laughs> uh, yeah, but had a great time checking out all the different Sunday Parkways, seeing what kind of inspiration we could, you know, have in the in the Northwest. And from uh, your so yeah. looking into that, uh, what level of uh, intent did it take? I guess to link into those, is there some sort of map that exists that's like a South American or global map with all the Sunday parkways or did you just sort of ask around when you got to a city that seemed the appropriate size to try to suss those out? It was pretty challenging. There is a open streets initiative and and please excuse me for not remembering the exact name, but there is a group that does this internationally. And uh, from what I know, the history of the Sunday Sunday parkways started in Colombia in, in Bogota and that it's spread throughout Latin America. So I feel like, you know, Portland, we were really learning from the Latin American countries. Uh, and so, no, it was mostly showing up in a town on a Sunday morning and just asking every random person, where's that street with all the people on it? with no cars and maybe bikes. Uh, and until someone would say, oh, yeah, that street. You want to go on down and get off at this subway stop, and that's the street. Everyone's walking right next to the KFC or whatever. <laughs> had a great time doing that and uh, also use the Sunday Parkways as a way to connect with the roller derby folks of Latin America and ended up coaching roller derby for a minute in Lima and Bogota and Santiago, um, which was a fun, fun travel experience too. But a lot of these travel experiences, whether it's going to be on the river or whether it's, you know, hitchhiking to Montreal or Halifax or to Santiago, uh, really, the planning is mostly just getting oneself out the door, making sure all the responsibilities are taken care of, you know, house is clean, bills are paid, get out the door and ready to go. Wow. Um, so how important w- is it to speak the language? Like, I, I don't know if you speak Spanish or or not. Um, and And if not... I guess my question is like, like how, how were you able to communicate with other people? Yeah, I, I speak gringo espanol. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but luckily I was traveling with a friend that was a fluent, fluent uh, Spanish speaker, a native Spanish speaker. Um, but really, you know, this, one of the big missions for that trip for me was to go and learn from all the different tricyclists along the way. Um, oh, yeah. I've been a, pedic- a pedicab driver since high school or a BC taxi driver, as they would call it. And um, 
So I think some of the first Spanish I've learned how to say is, you know, hi, you know, hola, mi trabajo es un bici taxista en Gringolandia. Uh, can I take a picture of you in your bicycle? And, yeah. uh, you know, that gets some good reactions. And oftentimes I get invited to uh, pedal their trike around or give them a tour or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but that's, I've uh, taken thousands of photos of, BC taxistas, bikes, you know, pedicab drivers, ice cream tricyclists, different working tricycles uh, throughout, you know, down the Pacific coast from, you know, Vancouver, BC down to, to Santiago, Chile and, and point south of there even. Yeah, I've seen some of the pictures of, of some of the interesting, uh, yeah, cycle trucks, but I guess that's a brand, so it's not really the appropriate word, but various utility bikes, I guess, would be a way to put it. Yeah, I was uh, had uh, the real blessing and opportunity to go to Cuba last winter and research the bicycle taxis that they built there. Um, I was really intrigued by it because pedicab driving is very capitalistic. There is no boss generally, you know. Yeah. Uh, the pedicab drivers may rent a pedicab, um, but the rumors from uh, communist China, I've always heard, was that Mao Zedong really disliked the pedicab drivers because, or the rickshaw drivers because there was no way to collectivize them. There was no oh. way to know how <laughs> tips they were getting from each passenger and stuffing into their socks or whatever. Um, and so I was really intrigued to meet the Cuban pedicab drivers as it's one of only eight or ten categories of private enterprise that are allowed in Cuba. And so... You know, I met a, a Cuban doctor that would make more as a pedicab driver giving tours to Canadian tourists than they would as a doctor. Right. Um, I don't know the, enough about the, the economics of the Cuban uh, situation to, you know, make a value judgment. But I was definitely curious to see how pedicabs played a role in their economy. And um, what really surprised me was how they were all made out of old tractor parts and car parts and really uh, pretty each region I went to had different styles, you know, be a recumbent in one area and more of a, a upright style in a different area. And so uh, I was really blessed to get the chance to see how they were keeping their, keeping everyone moving. Yeah. Cuba's very interesting when it comes to bike and like most mechanical issues because of the embargo for so many years, a lot of what is there or what had to been made there was things that just already existed and then like prefab from things that were already existing there. Right. So that's what made some of those bikes so unique. It's, it's really cool. It's a really neat study. Yeah. Yeah. I was really fascinated to see it. Um, another one that really jumps out to me just as we're talking right now is in Guatemala, there's an organization called Maya pedal that makes BC machinas, which is bicycle machines for pumping water and grain oh. milling and all sorts of kind of agricultural industrial uses. And they're always accepting volunteers, I believe. So <laughs> they're out, but had a chance to go visit them in Guatemala as well on, on one of those trips and was really intrigued with, with their work. Yeah, it's a thing people can do with bicycle power. Um, talking about putting anything on a chain, uh, we, I did uh, last few years been doing the 7048 boat race uh, where we paddle from Tacoma to Port Townsend and quite a few of the folks there have done pedal powered boats mm. and it is amazing how swift they are and uh, how easily I've gotten left in the dust by the folks with the pedal drives. So I've been trying to figure out how to retrofit my rowboat to have a pedal drive to, <laughs> to keep up with everyone. Else. Nice. Yeah. That'd be a fun project. Yeah. Um, for anybody, you know, you've talked about, where you've gotten floating supplies and uh, just how easy it is to get out there and, uh, you know, have a go at it with pretty much anything. Um, is there, is there, I guess if anybody's interested in this, are there any sort of communities that one can plug into or sort of uh, zones of people talking about it that might be good to get additional ideas off of? Well, there sure should be. I'm, I've always been mom <laughs> have a, you know, community boating center here in Portland under the I-5 or, you know, next to the Esplanade or something. 
but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but either way, um, a lot of the, there is a lot of folks that are paddling around this area. I know a lot of um, young punks that are uh, getting boats and, and having fun with it. For me, um, I've gotten a lot of my boats for free on Craigslist. Um, and uh, I'd say the main thing is, you know, make sure to get a life jacket. Uh, that's got to be the top priority. Um, and then start small and, and, you know, work your way up. Uh, places like Lacamas Lake, if you can get to it, uh, up near Camas Washougal is a really chill location. Smith and Bybee here in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Halem River, as I mentioned, Vernonia to Big Eddie is another very calm section. Um, Savi Island, just north of town, just north of Linton, there's a great boat launch there on the Multnomah Channel that's near all the houseboats. And there's some great boat launches in town as well, Willamette Park and St. John's and uh, down on Swan Island as well. Nice. We'll we'll put them in the pocket for whatever (laughs) the next six to 12 months look like here. Sure, (laughs) sure, sure. Um, Have you had much uh, conflict with other traffic on the water, being that you're just like a small canoe and then... I guess another question attached to that would be like, how versed are you in like boat etiquette and, and how that goes? Or do you just sort of like play it by ear? Uh, You know, this is something that you guys will probably resonate with um, that there is a power dynamic between motor boats and human powered craft that Uh, might be. No way. Really? Some of you guys might be familiar with. Um, there's a trip I do every year that I have a lot of fun with where I'll put a boat in at Oregon City, um, right below the falls. And if you've ever paddled up to the falls, that's pretty amazing. The sea lions and yeah. you know the, the water just rushing over the falls. It's pretty intense. Um, and then I'll paddle from there to OMSI in Portland. And at OMSI, I'll jump out of the water, tie the boat up, and grab a bikey town. And then I've got 90 minutes on my bikey town membership to pedal back to Oregon City, grab the truck, drive back to Omsi um, and, and lock it up again. <laughs> and um, that is the one river uh, that you see the most intense kind of rules the road etiquette uh, concerns. Just that area around Gladstone, um, a lot of jet skis, a lot of motorboats. Yeah. Um, a lot of just, you know, as you navigate around Elk Rock Island, that's one that's always pretty intense. Um, people with their ski boats that may or may not know how to operate around uh, a smaller vessel and also what impact their wake has. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, the uh, the boating culture is so like a lot of just what, what it makes me think of is uh, working in like commercial fishing and also just kind of like putting in at different small marinas uh, around where I grew up. And I was, I've always, I'm always just so surprised at how um, firmly opinionated some people are about the way things go. You, you're, I think the comparison you drew between uh, maybe motorists and folks on different forms of transportation, that is, that is a very analogous comparison to how it plays on the waterways, it feels like as well. Well, Jeffrey, where, where did you grow up that you're mentioning in? Um, I grew up in Eastern Oregon, so Willowa County Enterprise Joseph area. Great. And so we've yeah. got the the foot in the head of the lake uh, is kind of what my experience was. I went out. A friend has a, like a very small sailboat, and we went out. And uh, I, full disclosure, don't know how to sail, so he was just like, "Here, I'll just shove you out, and we'll like we'll figure it." Uh, <laughs> so it was it was it was me getting me getting yelled at and him saying like thanks for your patience to uh this crew who was waiting for their truck to drive up to take take their boat out and i was just like does it really have to be this way like you're not ready obviously i'm not ready but as long as we're both not ready we don't have to be assholes to each other uh so maybe more of a strictly anecdotal uh reinforcement of that paradigm but uh it was fun nonetheless and figured out how to sail after an hour or two well, there's a lot. There's a lot of patience that goes into learning how to sail, and uh, a lot of probably personal dynamics that one can learn too. Uh, yeah, there's also the cultural differences. I I found you know this summer and other times paddling from the states to Canada that uh, 
you know, on the U.S. side, you know, people might be really interested in what is a rowboat doing out in the boundary waters, you know, crossing from the San Juan Islands to the Gulf Islands. Uh, and I felt mostly the Americans would come up with, you know, their big yachts and, oh, look at that, there's a rowboat, hi, wave it at you. Walking <laughs> you with their wake. Um, whereas on the Canadian side, and here I'm making broad generalizations, but, you know, had it three guys with their plywood that they were going out to fix their beach cab and oh they come up at five knots or something real slow and oh what are you doing where are you coming oh you came from the states oh my goodness and just want to chit chat you know not throwing a big wake our way and um so uh, anecdotal broad generalizations sure. but i think grain of salt cultural uh, touches to how the navigation works as well mm-hmm yeah, it's um, it's interesting too. I think maybe my observation into some of what plays a part to the more what I feel is like the very like stern and serious nature that boating can be at times is like if you were to crash on a bicycle, uh, you would have depending on where you're at some level of uh, ability to recover from said crash or to get help or otherwise. It feels like the the rules of engagement and the rules of like oh shit uh, are a little bit different when you're out on a boat. I don't know if you've you've had any. You know, you're talking about wake as an example. Um, have you had any other sort of close calls ish in the zone of like yeah, it'd be very good not to you know bite off more than I can chew at this point. I think you really just crystallized it there by talking about expectations. The times I've gotten myself in trouble are times where I set too ambitious of a goal and kept myself to that timeline. Got to make it to Astoria by noon to get breakfast from the Moose Lodge, hell or high water. That's where you get yourself in trouble, is not adapting to the conditions, not adapting to weather, the tides, the, the other variables that are out of your control. So yes, I've gotten myself in some really stupid situations and they were all really stupid because I was the one being stupid. And I didn't just chill out and enjoy my hammock on Susha Island and decided to cross the border at 45 knot winds and four to five foot seas and had an oar break on me as I'm trying to, you know, cross in front of a freighter that's coming into Vancouver at 30 knots. Um, <laughs> that was a stupid, stupid thing to do. Uh, but I was the one that put myself in that stupid situation. Mm. yeah it's uh, you learn you learn those lessons pretty pretty like <laughs> firmly i guess the ones you walk the ones i don't you know walk how away. firmly i learned it because on the way back i went in 10 foot seas and had the whole boat <laughs> <laughs> uh, ended up crash landing on main island and ended up having to stay there for two days and the boat got broken and had to patch it up and bail it out the entire way back to bellingham but you know let's hope those lessons get learned at some point <laughs> well now, now you're just you're just talking about an adventure <laughs> yeah it's a good adventure so yeah i would say the biggest trick i've learned uh for myself and hopefully for the uh the enjoyment of my crew is not setting crazy you know adventure ambitions this summer when we rode to Canada, we started off of, hey, let's row to Lopez. Let's row to San Juan Island. Let's go to Friday Harbor. Oh, hey, that went really well. What do you think about going to Sydney tomorrow and crossing into Canada? Um, really trying to just kind of have lessened expectations because I know I can get fixated on a goal. And that's where uh, it creates a dangerous situation, you know, and doesn't allow for conditions to change or maybe attitudes or perspectives or you know you want to you want to keep morale high while at sea or on any other voyage yeah definitely um you're you're talking about boats breaking down or breaking an oar makes me wonder so whenever i go bike camping you know there's a certain number of tools and and the patch kit that i that i carry with me um, do you carry like some kind of like boat toolkit with you? And if so, what is that? Definitely, you know, an extra oar, an extra paddle is always a good idea. Um, oar locks are important too. 
because uh, that's really your propulsion, you know, in a rowboat at least is your oar locks and your oars and your rowlocks. Or if you're in a canoe, the paddle's very important. But I'd say the number one most important, the essentially the the rowboat bicycle tube patch kit is five minute epoxy. Five minute epoxy can solve anything. Five minute epoxy is your best friend. So that's the main toolkit. Little five minute epoxy. Nice. Not works decent on bike tours too. I guess you have to you have to use it less. <laughs> okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we had a, a skeg uh, this uh, summer right in Anacortes, the skeg broke off and ripped some holes in the bottom of the hole and, you know, brought me to tears almost, uh, right as we're about to take off on this grand voyage and uh, a quick run into town to the Ace Hardware and five minute epoxy later and we were on the water and it's still good today, you know. Nice. used it this last weekend, oh. paddling out to a deserted island in the Columbia and it worked great. I'm, I'm curious because I, I don't know, what, what is a skeg? A uh, skeg is like a small rudder uh, for the bottom of a rowboat, I would, maybe not a rudder, but a keel, maybe a small keel. Oh, okay. Um, it's like a stabilizing or something you can drag the boat on and it essentially keeps you tracking in a straight line for the most part. Gotcha. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been prepping for our episode. I've been watching uh, a gent sailed from... I think he did it on like a 12 or 12 or 13 foot boat uh, from, I believe it was Seattle to Hawaii and posted his solo adventure uh, about a year ago. And I kind of just, it's one of those things when you're like, especially in these times, every now and then you find yourself kind of just rambling on YouTube. And I was like, yeah. all right, I'll check this out. And then I just I've been watching like every single other one of his videos because uh, he's just, he's entertaining. Um, oh, you'll have to share the link on that. Yeah. Yeah. I've been inspired ever since I was little from uh, Robin Lee Graham, the guy that wrote Dove, who was 17 years old and took off sailing around the world from L.A. Uh, on a 21-foot boat. And uh, He's always been a huge inspiration. There's also a guy in Bremerton that wrote a book, uh, Three Years in a 12-Foot Boat, where mm. he made a canoe kayak sailboat and paddled down the Mississippi, went through the Panama Canal, and then down the west coast of Columbia before hitchhiking over the Andes. And coming down the Rio Negro and then up the uh, Caribbean to Key West. And, oh, wow. Uh, long, you know, vagabond with small boat adventures have always called to me. Um, a book I've been reading last few nights is 10,000 Miles in, uh, in a Canoe. And it's a fellow from Victoria, B.C. that essentially sails a canoe around the world back in 1910. Oh, wow. And, um, just, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, possibilities out there some of the trips i've been dreaming of recently is trying to figure out how to just show up in a random spot whether that might be uh montreal and try to figure out how to find a canoe for under 100 bucks and paddle to halifax uh if it's possible is it possible to do that in the philippines can you just show up in manila and find a a canoe for under a hundred bucks and paddle around the archipelago. Uh, what about Japan? You know, those are some of the, the Dalmatian coast and, and near Croatia has been calling to me. I, there's, I want to try to figure out a way to vagabond aqua vagabond uh, on the cheap. And I, I haven't found the perfect vessel yet, but maybe that's the whole thing. You just work with whatever's there. And five minute epoxy. And five minutes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serving the five minute epoxy. Indeed. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us this evening and sharing some of your adventures and some of your tales. Um, yeah, this is great. I'll I'll send you that follow up link and and we'll try to post it in the show notes as well for the sailing. Um, do you have any words of wisdom or thoughts to share? Um, just sort of transitioning us into our next segment or two. No, uh, appreciate you guys uh, having me on and uh, listening to stories. Um, if anyone wants to follow on Instagram, Salty Scrapper Photography is where I hear some of the photos. Um, but ma mainly my main message right now would just be trying to stay healthy and um, uh, just stay healthy as we're in these challenging times. Yeah, seconded. 
I'm so glad we got a chance to catch up. Yeah. I, I was really like, I was, I was really sad we didn't get a chance to talk more in the store because it wasn't the time or place. So it's really nice to hear your voice, Ryan. Good to see you guys. Sweet. Thanks, Ryan. Sure enough. Cheers. All right. Fourth calendar. Uh, note to our listeners, due to current evaluated status of COVID-19, uh, we here at the Sprocket Podcast are electing to read only events starting in July or later. However, each week we'll be picking one of our recurring events to showcase and highlight to get you pumped up for when they're able to return. Uh, we checked on those which we could. Please let us know if your event has a date changed and let us know what new events, uh, in the sense that events are these days, are happening in your area. Do you want to kick us off, Aaron? Sure. July 11th, Lads 500, the fifth first annual right here in Portland. August 15th is the Swift Summit 200-100, version August... 4 in Lebanon, Oregon. August 16th is the Swift Summit Northwest Hill Climb, location unknown. All right. And for our recurring event, weekly showcase, last time we did this, I believe we did the Corvidae Bike Club. And Correct. this week, I want to highlight the San Jose Bike Party because we have had lots of recurring announcements on the calendar for years on end. And then pretty recently, somebody wrote us and said, hey, what about the San Jose bike party? <laughs> the and original said, bike party what's is that? what they said. They the original bike party. The original, that's right. Yeah. Um yeah. If it's if you're down in San Jose, um let us know how it's going. Feel always free to send thoughts and or tribulations uh to the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Call or text 503-847-9774. Uh always love to hear your thoughts and a special heartfelt shout out to those uh down and around the san jose bike party for this week right on upcoming filmed by bike tour dates are alfdal norway september 4th sacramento california october 23rd and boise idaho january 23rd and i meant to look this up so i'm gonna do that real quick uh film by bike has really done a uh amazing sort of transition from a physical festival oh, yeah. to an online festival so i wanted to give a shout out to that uh and to also let people know that if you're looking for a place to come together online that has bicycle community and great bike films uh, you don't have to be physically present um as there are going to be several streaming in the next couple of weeks and you can find out more information about that at filmedbybike.org uh april 18th filmed or streamed online is stories with heart april 25th is bike fun films and may 2nd is adventure films uh and it's been pretty fun i, I hopped on the last one and it was just so nice to see folks uh just kind of like hanging out and saying hi on the chat. It's sort of similar to how we've been doing for the Sprocket Shift meetings, except yeah. with uh, like 300 people tuning in uh, oh, wow. or plus. And so, um, yeah, saying hi to Eric Ivy and Courtney and all those folks that you don't get to see in person. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a fun time. Cool. Also, I'm totally biased, but that's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. On to our headlines? Yeah. I'll let you take it. All right. So this comes from my brother Dan in Honolulu, and he says with the comment, Get on it, Portland. Uh, this headline is, Oakland, to restrict cars on 74 miles of streets, paving the way for pedestrians and bicyclists. Yeah, Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the emergency measure called... Oakland slow streets will limit motorized vehicles from 10% of the roadway space in Oakland beginning on Saturday. And the article goes on to say that Oakland is not the first city to limit cars from streets during the coronavirus quarantine. Streets were closed in Denver last week as a way of providing some relief to city parks that are getting heavy use from urban dwellers during a stay at home order, according to the Denver Post. And uh, this is interesting because I don't know if we featured this article 
uh, in previous weeks, but there was uh, a Bike Portland article uh, came through the pipe, um, essentially stating uh, that one of our commissioners um, um, pretty much said, "Like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that." <laughs> yeah, I believe it was Chloe Udaly. Yeah, um, which is unfortunate to hear from where I'm sitting, but at the same time, yeah. there's time time to change that narrative. There's, I was going to say there's still plenty of time to, <laughs> for change. We're still we're still under shelter in place in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. door is not yet closed. <laughs> um, both of these, I forgot to I forgot to name the uh, news outlet that these are from, but we do have the links on our website or we will have the links on our website when we post this yeah, show. I believe the uh, 74 Miles is from KTVU, or news station okay. KTVU in uh, San Francisco. And okay. then the other is a medium.com article, which means that it's right. probably just by that author, whose name is Jurgen Tholen. Thank you. You're welcome. And this one also came to me, or us, from my brother Dan. Yeah, and Dan. This is, I don't know if you've read this. This actually had made its rounds before um, Dan sent it our way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I read a, a little bit of it. Uh, it okay. Speaking of Bike Portland, it reminded me of a Bike Portland study about like optimal carbon intake as a cyclist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I, I felt there were some parallels between those two, at least. Yeah. Um, um, yeah so this go, is go for it. Belgian's Dutch study. Uh, why in times of COVID-19, you should not walk slash run slash bike close behind each other. In a lot of countries, walking, biking, and jogging are welcome activities in the times of COVID-19. However, it is important to note that you need to avoid each other's slipstream when doing these activities. This comes out as a result of the study by the KU Leuven, Belgium, and TU Eindhoven in Netherlands. On the basis of these results, the scientists advise that for walking, the distance of people moving in the same direction in one line should be at least four to five meters. Yep. Um, Yeah. So that's significantly larger than six feet. Uh, And for running and slow biking, it should be 10 meters. And for hard biking, 20 meters. Which is... Something close to 60 feet. Yeah. I'm not good at doing conversions in <laughs> well, my head. Well, <laughs> yeah. Even though it's, I, was, I was prepping for New Zealand with the conversions and then that, that plan <laughs> popped. So, you know. <laughs> so, why, why bother? Yeah, why bother? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll get it one of these days. <laughs> yeah. So, that that is something I've been thinking about because uh, as many of our listeners know, our spot's situated on a neighborhood greenway which means that there is a lot of walking and a lot of biking Um, Uh, in fact i could probably go out on the edge of the property right now and point out five to ten people transiting in some method or another Uh, i've found it both encouraging in that i it was really nice to see so many people out biking and walking down the street yeah totally and then also slightly frustrating in that it just and I'm, I'm only going to say this slightly frustrating because it's really just a matter of inconvenience, but uh, just that extra awareness I had to put in my head in order to like give people the space that they need. Although, to be clear, it wasn't the 20 meters suggested. Mm-hmm. It is free encouraging. Frustrating <laughs> and encouraging. Yes, <laughs> Maybe, I like that. If you have a better mashup. <laughs> email to this podcast at gmail.com uh yeah it's it it i've definitely been thinking about it because we um do a lot of hanging out on the porch because that's one of the places you can be in uh and fortunate enough to have a porch to hang out upon um so when i saw the 20 meter thing i was like i don't i'm i'm within that zone uh, almost 100 percent of the time uh Mm. from that perspective and not even just from a worrying about myself kind of deal but just putting the results of that study into a into that personal perspective perhaps yeah yeah um and i don't know if you got to look i included the little uh graphic that they Mm -hmm. had in there it's 
it's pretty interesting to show like sort of uh, people's, for lack of a better term, emissions. <laughs> and <right>. and <laughs> literally, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, and um, just uh, how how long of a trail a person leaves as they're exercising or as as they're moving about the space. Yeah, it's kind of like in the same way that cats and dogs and animals pick up on different senses or stimulus than humans do it's like if we had visual like smell patterns or wafts of our person as we have already passed through places right uh reminds me kind of a it's a neat visualization and and then you start thinking about it more and you're like oh shit (laughs) well yeah we don't we don't think about moving about the space that way we think about like where we are presently and not like sort of where we've been and that we're part of us is still there as in you know our, our exhaling and our, our sweat it's like we're uh invisible superheroes in our own in our own <laughs> stories secret powers we didn't know we have <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> cool um well if anybody else has any fun study stuff to send our way uh please do so i yeah. don't know if i'll pitch it this week um But I have found that among all the things out there in the world, uh, one newsletter in particular has been offering particularly keen insight into uh, kind of aggregating all that is happening in the world right now and uh, packaging it into not only a digestible fashion, but a fashion that makes you feel good about still putting the fight in. Uh, oh, and that's not to say I'm I'm down and out or anything like that, but um, it can be overwhelming a lot of times, and we're all yeah. still figuring this out. So, in the meantime, we have mail. We got mail. We got mail. Hey. We got mail. Oh, hey. we got mail. We got mail. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. From Mac Nurse David, I don't know if you guys saw this, but it seems like a good way to while an hour and a half. And oh it, yeah. Yeah, I almost wish Ryan was still here. I think he would dig this. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, we'll have to catch him on the next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I think he is out of the Zoom. He was he was hanging there for a sec. Yeah. No. Uh, so this out. is 1200 days around the world on a unicycle and it covers Ed Pratt who title of the <laughs> video uh, just finished 1200 days around the world on a unicycle. Um, Ed has been somebody that I've been following since just about when he started. That's that's definitely one of the nice things about doing the film finding is you yeah. you you just get exposed to these uh, as as they sort of come out. So he's been one who uh, I think we have reached out to him once for the show. Is that correct? Back in yeah, back when he was way way back, way way back. Um, and he's he's been a little bit. Uh, I think he gets a lot of people trying to get his time, and so totally yeah. makes sense. Uh, but if Ed gets bored during this whole ordeal, um, he's certainly <laughs> welcome to come on the show and, and chat about that. It would be a really yeah. fun conversation. Um, I usually tune in maybe once every three to six months and kind of check up on his videos. He's got a ton online right now. Um, and he just finished uh, 22,000 miles of cycling. So uh, it, I guess in long form answer to MacNurse's David question, I have seen it. It's quite entertaining. Uh, I had not, but I did watch it this afternoon. Nice, nice. I I, I would say not to steal the limelight um, from Ed by any means, but if anybody else similar to Macnish David is looking for a good way to while away an hour and a half, um, Iohan Gagorov's uh, YouTube channel is another really good one. He is currently quarantining down uh just about where ryan was chatting about in chile and um has a series where he starts four five years ago he started up in the northernmost point of alaska he's made his way down and he has incredible sort of 50 minute to hour and a half long overviews of different segments of his journey so that's some pretty good watching too if anybody's looking for another pocket backup option right now and second from Brock, he sent us a uh, um, a Facebook post of of somebody making music out of their bike. 
so to speak. He says, this reminds me of a song someone else years back uh, sampled and programmed bike sound effects. And I think you should play it. <laughs> Alrighty. Yes. With that link, uh, congratulations. You have reached the end of yet another, what I hope is fine, episode. Uh, and we, we know have it is one because... More, oh, oh. We have one more piece of mail. Look at me. Um, jumping the gun. Jumping the gun. Where do you got to be right now? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. That was... Um, (laughs) actually i'm attending an international summit on (laughs) sitting at home doing nothing in 15 minutes so we gotta we gotta hurry this thing up that's as there's a lot of people in attendance of that one (laughs) yeah record (laughs) attendance (laughs) uh this one came to us from graham kleiner uh with the subject of hello this bro podcast and this email informs you that you have been certified as a beneficiary of the estate and resources of late Craig Kit podcast after extensive long-term research if you are of the Kit podcast lineage I will give you more information about your benefits I don't know what do you think I well, nothing. Nothing seems there. I see no red flags here. <laughs> let's go. Let's go collect our inheritance. Sounds good. We'll just <laughs> we'll just click on the uh, link that is the entire body of text. Right. That'll that'll right, give us yeah. there. <laughs> it's a. Uh, I will say, it is one of the most. Um, uh it's it's funny in that it is so obviously spam and yet it still perpetuates itself as as such that's pretty good yeah. i got a i don't know eh, i maybe i'm going off topic again but there have been uh speaking of what's happening there's been a huge increase in scams and that type of thing so uh really oh yeah oh yeah i've been lucky I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, and and depending on who your mail service provider is, um, they're they're gonna try to catch most of that. But just okay. as a general uh, put out to our listeners, the old adage is true. <laughs> if it appears to be too good to be true, it it is. Uh, <laughs> so just be aware of those links. Uh, I got, I almost got got by one that was pretty clever the other day. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure it was one. Just people calling um, with extending union benefits to non-union members, and quoting a name that I was like, I don't know who this person is, but they're like, they're giving you their benefits, and we just need to confirm, you know, this, this, and this information oh, no. with you. Yeah. And I'm like, nope, goodbye. Yep. Exactly. Aaron did the finger yeah. wag for those who weren't <laughs> watching the stream. Uh, but yeah, be be careful, be safe out there. Um, you know, <laughs> in all the ways we can be, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I want to mention while we're on air, still, so to speak, I got a button in the mail, and it is a Chris for Metro button. So thank you, Chris, and to all your 
actually, I, I'll just go ahead and mention it was Aaron Brown who actually mailed this out, who's working with Chris as, as well. So uh, thank you, Aaron, and, and thank you, Chris, for the button. And um, all of you in District 5, you know who I'm voting for. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a, I've been tempted to hold a, he's doing, I got the letter oh, for yeah. the, the house. The, the virtual house parties? Yes, the virtual house party. Yeah. I don't know if I'm that adventurous. <laughs> I will be I'm, thinking about it. I'm too introverted for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? Even with a screen? I don't know. I'm not <laughs> yeah, I'm even... introverted in the ways that I'm introverted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if that if that makes any sense. Um, <laughs> it makes sense to me because I think I'm introverted in the same way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Says the two people who are hosting a podcast. Hey, you know, but that's because we love what we do. So we're that's willing right. to do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Um, like always, feel free to write us your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. It's for posterity. And without ending a show with their name missing, we also want to thank the beer mongers uh, for their I'm generous Southeast support. Division Twelve. Yeah. Yes, I am drinking, even though not purchased directly from the the beer mongers. It is available at the beer mongers. The Brew Doctor Kombucha Strawberry Basil. Oh, yeah. I am not drinking anything, but I do have a glass of Hopworks India Pale Ale that I turned into a pen holder. And you, too, can get Hopworks India Pale Ale at The Beer Mongers. So uh, thanks, as always. And we'll look forward to chatting with them soon. Right um, on. Shall we read it out? Let's do this. All right. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at X-Ray FM Studios thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Kurt Bird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, a time, time traveler. traveler, Dave Nose, Chris Smith, hey Chris, thanks for the button, Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw. Oh, wait, that's me, Aaron <laughs> so Green. Referential. We were like sons and founder of the Regrainery. Campsite, Magners David, Thanks Nathan for writing. Colton. Rory in Michigan, Michael Florney. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman. Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell. Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Offenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. 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 Uh, we'll get better <laughs> next week. Uh, <laughs> There's digital latency. We're doing the best we can. We're, we're killing <laughs> it. <laughs> Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, nice feature on uh, Film by Bike Happy Hour the other week, by the way. And Matthew Rooks, Kaka. Kaka! Philip M. Spartan Dale, no relation. Oh, Marshall, I missed the line. Funitaki Cyclecraft. Mr. T, who never really left. Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D. Go dig a hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. Isaac M. David C., our newest donor, 503. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now wash your hands. And stay safe. Stay at home. <laughs>